Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash missionlog50 and use code missionlog50, that's 5-0, to get 50% off your first box. That's code missionlog50 at factormeals.com slash missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 499, Displaced. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we explore an episode of Star Trek, picking it apart for morals, meanings, and messages, and then asking ourselves if the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, Displaced, the one where the crew of Voyager is moved from their current location to a different one. You might even say that they've been displaced. That's the most convenient title ever. It really is. I love it when they can do that in one word. I'll be back with trivia in a moment. But first, Norman wants to tell all of you how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now we're going to displace everything for John Champion and his trivia. All right, here we go. We have an episode written by Lisa Klink. As we get closer to the end of season three, we've had a handful of episodes where Lisa gets the sole credit. Prior to this one, we discussed her work on Favorite Son and Blood Fever most recently. Her title will change in the next season, and we will catch more of her work then. This was directed by Alan Croker, and this is just the second of Alan's work on Voyager. We covered before and after recently, and he will stick around for 11 more episodes. More to come from him in the Delta Quadrant, and then it's off to Enterprise. Let's meet our guest stars. We see a little more of a Voyager crew member who we first met briefly in Blood Fever. That would be Ensign Lang, played by Deborah Levin. Now let's meet our visiting aliens, rounding out a guest cast made up entirely of actors with multiple Star Trek appearances. On the Nerian vessel, also imprisoned, is a reptilian named Jarloth, played by Mark L. Taylor. We met Mark once before in his human form when he appeared in the third season TNG episode, The Ensigns of Command. 
then there are the Nereans themselves. Talene is played by Nancy Youngblood. You may not recognize her here, but Nancy had a prominent role that we already discussed in DS9's seventh season episode, Once More Unto the Breach. She was under Klingon makeup there as Kolana. In chronological order, that was her most recent and final Star Trek appearance. James Noah plays Rislin, and here again is a returning player on Star Trek. In the fourth season of DS9, James appeared as the Trill scientist Dr. Hanor Pren in the episode Rejoined. And finally, there is Damar. No, not that Damar played by Kenneth Teagar. Now, Kenneth is a very recognizable character actor, even if his name isn't at the tip of your tongue. Very recently, he has appeared in shows like The Marvelous Miss Maisel and in The Man in the High Castle. But earlier in his career, you might have seen him in Man from Atlantis, Wonder Woman, and Barney Miller, or in features like The Avengers and Lethal Weapon 2 and 3. And... We did see him before on Star Trek in the first season of TNG. He was uncredited but unmistakable in the episode Symbiosis as Margon. So far, those are his only two Trek credits. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. People are going to just start showing up uninvited for dinner right about now. Prologue. Tom and Bellana have been working out with a Klingon martial arts program on the holodeck. He's amused. She's really worked up. As their argument escalates, they are surprised to see an alien suddenly materialize in the corridor with them, asking, where am I? Act 1. The alien is humanoid, looks like a kindly older gentleman, and he seems confused and worried. He says he was just walking home and then... Boom, abducted and ends up here. On Voyager, it's cold and too bright for him, but Tom and Bellana assure him that they won't harm him, and they take him to sickbay to make sure he's okay and to warm him up. The alien, Damar, is still confused about how he got here. He says he's Nerian, and his homeworld doesn't sound familiar to any place Voyager has encountered yet, but the crew will look for a way to get him home. In the meantime, the EMH calls for Kess... But she's missing, just disappeared off Voyager at the same moment Damar arrived. In engineering, Harry and Balana try to work out location data about the Nerian homeworld. They don't have much to go on, but just as Harry starts some new tests, he completely disappears. And coincidentally, another confused Nerian appears on Voyager. Then another. For each one who does, another Voyager crew member goes missing. Security doesn't have any leads to follow, and then Tuvok himself disappears. It seems to be an even exchange, with Voyager crew propping up on a Nerian colony just as a Nerian disappears, but everybody is in the dark as to what's causing it. There's a Polaron burst, then boom, they're gone. At least the Nerians aren't aggressive or violent, they just keep showing up, and Voyager crew keep disappearing. And that makes Janeway worried and very suspicious. Act 2. Half of Voyager's crew is gone, and more Nerians keep appearing, most of them sequestered to cargo bays. 
Rislin, a Nerian scientist who appeared on Voyager, has shared some theories with Balana, one of them leading to a wormhole, perhaps, and then Janeway herself dematerializes just as she's trying to find Rislin for more information. Neelix has just found Rislin over the complaints of Voyager's cold, humid environment, and he agrees to revisit engineering to confer with the crew there. On the bridge, it's just Chakotay in command and Ensign Lang, who is now security chief. And she reports that Neelix has disappeared. That leaves 40 of Voyager's crew and more than 100 Nerians. But that also means that Chakotay and Lang seriously need to lock things down like sensitive ship resources and systems. Rislin is sharing his insights with Balana, but he's not exactly being helpful. The more progress Balana makes, she gets more suspicious that the thing causing the crew to disappear is not a natural phenomenon. So the jig is up, and Rislin quickly knocks out a crewman, takes his phaser, and points it at Balana. She can't fight back and soon finds herself transported to where the majority of Voyager's crew have gone, all in a pleasantly curated indoor-outdoor plaza watched over by Nerian guards. Act 3. The guards take Balana's comm badge, then leave, and there she is with all the others. Tom, Captain Janeway, Kess, everyone who was taken from Voyager. This place, and others like it, are kind of an idealized simulation to hold them, and presumably others, but why? Back to Voyager, there are only 12 of the crew left, and yeah, the Nerians are doing their best to take over all systems. They succeed, too, when they make their way to the bridge and take out the small crew there, and engineering, and everywhere else. Chakotay and a handful of people left try to sabotage ship systems, including the warp core, but they can only hold out for so long. In a last ditch, Chakotay makes his way to sickbay in order to download the EMH to his mobile emitter, and lucky him, he palms it just as the Nerians catch up with him and send him off to join the rest of the crew. In the pleasant artificial environment, the EMH is reactivated by Balana, and it's time for the entire Voyager crew to get to know their captors. They are in one of ten artificial environments covering four square kilometers. Those are all surrounded by wilderness, an almost too perfect wilderness that's seemingly designed to keep them in. Soon enough, a few Nerians, led by a woman, Talene, enter and explain that the Voyager crew are indeed captive, but it's such a nice cage they're in with food and entertainment. The Nerians do this, slowly take over other people's property and lock them up. If Janeway knows what's good for her and her crew, she'll start to show some gratitude. And with that, Talene and her guards disappear as quickly as they appeared. The suspicion that this place is a hologram is easily confirmed when Harry notices a little shimmer, a discrepancy in some of the foliage. Then from that break in the illusion, a reptilian alien steps out, introducing himself as Jarleth, their neighbor. Act 4. As far as alien reptiles go, Jarleth is a really nice one. His environment next door is very different, drier, warmer. He and his people got there in the same way as the Voyager crew, slowly displaced by Nerians until there were none of his people left. 
Janeway tries to get some information about possible escape routes, but Jarless says that probably won't happen. And even the last people who tried to escape all ended up dying from a plague. But Janeway is persistent, and Jarleth is easily bribed with food. Maybe he can show them how to find other portals, like the one that connects his environment to theirs. That gives Bolana an idea to reprogram the EMH, enough to see the fluctuations in their hollow environment. Meanwhile, Tuvok creates weapons out of some electronic parts scavenged by Neelix. Soon, they have their chance. The EMH, led by Balana, spots another portal in the simulation, and that leads Janeway, Tuvok, Balana, and Tom, along with Jarleth, into a dark corridor. The truth becomes clear very quickly. While Tom and Balana get a view of many different biospheres, Tuvok and Janeway find a kind of control center which they are able to translate through Voyager's downloaded database. They discover that there are a total of 94 different environments where they are, all acclimated for the myriad prisoners held by the Nerians. What's more, they're all being held on a giant ship somewhere in space. Janeway attempts to locate a bridge or a central command center, but the more she digs, she sets off an alarm. Act 5. Talene calls her compatriots on Voyager to let them know what happened and that she may need to use force to get their captives to comply. Meanwhile, Jarless surrenders at the first sign of Nerian guards, but that's good enough for Janeway and Tuvok to see one of the guards use a translocator device to send Jarleth back to his habitat. Once the guard is dispatched with a Vulcan nerve pinch, it's time to see if they can make the translocator work to their advantage. But Voyager is now on the way at warp speed with Nerian reinforcements, just as Tom and Bolana are doing their best with makeshift weapons to fight off the guards. They take refuge in a frozen habitat, hostile to the Nerians, who prefer warmer climates. Just their luck, the guards who followed them quickly succumb to the cold and the last shot of their homemade phaser. Janeway and Tuvok figure out how the translocator works in time to detect Tom and Bolana and rescue them from an icy death by teleporting them back to the Federation habitat. But Voyager is on its way, full of angry Nerians, and they are in for a surprise when Janeway starts transporting them to that same frozen habitat. She's in control of their systems now, and unless they all want to freeze to death, they should probably hand over Voyager. Oh, and while she's at it, release all the other prisoners, too. They've got no room to negotiate, so Janeway wins and disables their translocator device. Now back on board Voyager, the crew has some downtime leading Tom and Bolana to warm up in the holodeck. Literally, because they were cold, remember? But also figuratively, because, you know, the end. That was a wonderful recap, John. I hope you didn't have to displace too many of the, the salient points of the plot for your recap. You know what? I purposely displaced <laughs> a few of those plot points which maybe we'll get to in a little bit but yes <laughs> yes no it was, it was nice and tight tight like you. a tiger tight, as we say tight. you know Thank for you. for those of you who are playing the home game uh-huh. a, a nice little scene with with tom and, and balana mm-hmm. correct me if i'm wrong but i'm gonna pull some trivia here out of my brain sure i do remember when in deep space nine when jadzia was doing some bat training with wharf mm-hmm. she 
she manufactured her batleth to a very specific height, weight, dimension in the holodeck. Yeah. So for somebody like Balana who doesn't embrace Klingon culture, why would she have a batleth? And why wouldn't she create one in the holodeck to her specifications? Right, right. Because then you have to assume that she carried that thing with her as a maquis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just always on her. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Chanzia created one in the holodeck. And I think even in other Klingon simulations that we've seen, like sometimes Worf has had his, but then also used created weapons mm-hmm. in, in the environment. So yeah, good question. Yeah, Good just question. a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do love the workout clothes, though, at the beginning. Mm. I know that they're not – none of the workout clothes have been really Federation standard. So yeah. I like it when I see, like, new uniforms. They're cut well. They fit well. I'm kind of thinking about cosplay ideas. I dig these. Oh. See, I'm just yeah. waiting for the day that on one of the modern or, you know, Berman-era Trek shows that we see, like, the, the TOS workout gear where it was just, like, the red tights. Right. <laughs> and that, that, that's it. You know, maybe one day. So uh, be careful, folks, when you're in, yeah, maybe, say, in a convention and you see John wearing red tights. Well, watch out for the backwards <laughs> fall. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> right. It, he, he's he's performing the part. Yes. Um, yeah. So Tom and Bellana are, I would say they're almost unnervingly calm when they just see an alien appear out of nowhere. I mean, you would think there would be security involved. Yeah, you would think you would immediately hear a security alarm. They would immediately call security. A force field would go up. Like, yeah, Yeah. all these kinds of things. Yeah. They're talking, they're talking, they're talking. Oh, hi, Mark. You know, like all of a sudden, you know, there's this alien there. Like, would you like a coffee? Are you okay? Yeah. I don't know. A little unnerving that they weren't alarmed at all. Well, maybe it's just like, well, he just seems like a nice old man. So, (laughs) you know. (laughs) That's it. It's the nice old man trick. Yeah, Yeah. right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And and by the way, in sickbay, I think the doctor says he raised the temperature to 45 degrees Celsius. That's 113 Fahrenheit. That's the kind of thing that in Vegas just makes me pant and want to run into the nearest air-conditioned room. I can't imagine anybody getting around in Voyager in that. Kudos to people who can do that in cosplay and not sweat. You're inhuman. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Great reaction by Harry slash Garrett when Bellana asks him, you don't think I'm hostile, do you? Do you? Right. (laughs) That, my friends, is the no-win scenario. It it really is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I I think the whole bit about Bellana's hostility, it is funny. And I and I did leave that out of the recap just because it's character bit. It's not really driving the plot. So I'm not really sure that it's going anywhere. But maybe that's the thing that we'll come back to in our discussion mm-hmm. later. Maybe, maybe. I don't I don't I don't really know. <laughs> but I love I love how one of those random Nerians materializes in Club Bro Med. Right. Because it's like they cannot not use that set now for every episode. And I just want to say, look, look, you built Shea Sandrine, mm-hmm. you built the weird man house that Janeway went to, but no, but we have to make sure we use Club Bromed every episode. 
Somebody make us a gif of like that John Travolta thing where he's kind of like looking around and behind him is Club Bro Med. It's Club Bro Med. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Need that. Exactly. I think we just so, need to do Club Bro Med t-shirts, you know? Like that, totally. that's going to be a take on its own life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned this before uh, in trivia, but, you know, and when, when Tom said Damar with the two mm-hmm. M's, mm-hmm. I mean, I heard Damar. It's Damar, right? So yeah. Yeah. Now I, I can't I, get... I went back. I rewound it because I thought, well, wait, I read the name. Maybe I misheard it. Maybe it's Damar. Maybe they're doing no, something to change it. Nope, no, it's Damar. Yeah, and and now I'm just wondering. Okay, so they have Damar. Now I have Casey Biggs in my hand. Like, what's next? Yeah. Like, is it Ducat with two Ks? I mean, <laughs> right. you know, I I don't know where this is going to go. Yeah, 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 exactly. I do like you know. There, there's a good little bit when we're on the bridge with Chakotay and Lang, and he says, uh, "How do you like your first day as chief of security? It's everything I dreamed of, sir." <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice. Like Star yeah. Trek is not a show that does sarcasm very often or very well. Yeah. So more of this, please. I thought that was cute. I yeah. do like that. I did like that a lot. I, I thought the uh, the so the POV where Balana, um, the doctor, like transports her or translocates her like to the compound. Yeah. I like that we're seeing it from her point of view, and then all of a sudden you see Tom there, and like the the yeah. world kind of like form around her. I thought that was a good effect. I thought, yeah, that was, really that well was nice. Yeah. Oh, and hey, Cass, in the background. Oh, hi, Cass. <laughs> just just <laughs> yeah. way back there, like, oh yeah, she's still on yeah. the show now. Yeah, and, and it is funny though how it's like the Voyager crew got beamed to a less broy version of Club Bromed. That that's just where they end up. So the Nereans must have seen that place, and they're like, "No, this is good. We'll go with this. Just not as many bikinied people around." <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> that was the whole plan. Oh, and okay, I do I I do not want this to come across as negative toward the actor uh, Nancy Youngblood or toward Ensign Lang. I I did think that that bit with Chakotay was fun, but. I was not buying her being in command on the bridge. I know we're not supposed to, really, because she's out of her element. But when right. the Nereans show up and she's telling people where to go, like that, it, it, her, her grasp of the command did not seem believable. But see, but yeah. I love that scene. Here's why. Okay. All right. Because all of a sudden, this person, like, she had that scene where she's like, yeah, this is great. And the only reason why I'm here is because <laughs> everyone else disappeared. And she knows that, right? And then all yeah. of a sudden, Chakotay's gone. And then these people storm the bridge. She's like, what am I going to do now? Seriously. Yeah. Like, I'm going to fire my phaser, and then I'm going to get my A dollar sign, dollar sign yeah. handed to me. Right? <laughs> right. Right. But, but she yeah. takes down a few you know, Anarians, and I'm like, okay. It's very lower decker stuff. I dig it. She right. does, yeah. I need yeah. to. I, I think I need to like crank up because it, now it's the twenty first century. I need to like crank up the sarcasm on her even more. I need her yeah. to be like an Aubrey Plaza type, like an April Ludgate on Parks and Rec. I need her in that instant role when things are just going to hell and she's having the worst day. And yeah. now I can't see anyone <laughs> right Aubrey Plaza playing <laughs> you're, this role. You're welcome. Right? Yeah. So Chakotay, he walks into the holding cell. All yeah. of the Nereans are gone. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, you can't there's, – there's, there's a level of incompetence that I'm going to talk about <laughs> when it comes to this. But I'm like, it's, it's so Keystone Cops-ish. Yeah. Like, Chakotay Washington's like, why are all my prisoners gone? Like, of course yeah. they're gone. Yeah, right? right. Yeah. Right. What did you I think was going to happen? Yeah. And then sabotage everything you can get your hands on or sabotage. Sabotage. Yeah. yeah. Sabotage everything you get your hands on, says Chakotay. So I, I want – all the shots 
of any other crew members around <laughs> doing stuff. Like, what were they doing? They're just in Neelix's kitchen, like, kicking over cookware and, like, right. throwing pillows into the corridors out of their quarters. Like, I wanted all of that stuff, too. I don't know. Like, they're, they're, they're tossing drawers, you know, like, flipping over tables. Yeah, right. right. You know, they're, they're rearranging chess pieces, you know, they're, stuff they're like that. They're painting stuff on the windows. Yeah, <laughs> they're just exactly. They're just being terrible. Yeah. If the Nerians know how to use Voyager technology... How can they not pinpoint two officers wearing comm badges in the ship? Uh huh. Yeah. You know. Well, maybe that was one thing that Chakotay was able to disable. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. We'll he did do a very fast download of the EMH's entire program, though. I love it how he boots up the EMH and it says, like, I'm going to download all of you to the mobile emitter. Boom, door opens. <laughs> right. Mean, that was very quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like that's interesting that he has that kind of expertise. I'll get into yeah. that maybe a little bit later. I get fixated on, and, you know, I. I apologize, you know, to the listeners who are like, Norm, really get over yourself, but I won't because <laughs> these are things that these are like small connective tissue pieces that yeah. make more sense if the logic holds. And in this case, it doesn't. So you have you have earlier when when Bellana gets transported to the planet, the Nymerian guards or the Nerian guards, they walk up to her, take her combat. badge. Mm hmm. And they're very particular about making sure that all of their prisoners are accounted for, unlike Chakotay in his room. <laughs> right. Right. But all of a sudden now, Chakotay and the doctor are there, and the doctor's wearing a comm badge and something else on his uniform, and they don't address that at right. all. Right. Right. Yeah. So what's that yeah. all about? Yeah. Right? There's got to be a better way to hide that hollow emitter or something. Yeah. And this would have been a very different episode pre-Future's End, where mm -hmm. the EMH was stuck on board you right. know yeah yeah um gotta say those uh those baskets of food that janeway is bribing jarleth with uh i was trying to get a good look at it couldn't really but if i had to replicate that at home i would say it kind of looks like chunks of dried fruit like big big pieces of dried fruit and maybe popcorn balls in that other basket i think i think you know you would they look like jumja stick fruits it did almost, you know? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Somewhere along the line, they abducted Peach Sweaty. So. <laughs> yes, yes. If you get that, did. you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome, everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't mind squeezing in. Here I am again, back back to Balana, like squeezing mm -hmm. in the character bits with the crew. But in this episode, I felt like hyping up Balana's aggression felt a bit forced. And now in the confrontation with Tom, it feels even more so. But I am amused that they can shut off the EMH's voice. But then why can't he just reach over and turn it back on? Mm -hmm. You know? Right. <laughs> I mean, so that that was – it was a little earned bit of comedy. But he's standing there, you know, just unable to open his mouth. Or, or if he does, nothing comes out. But he, he literally points to the emitter and, like – well, your finger's right there. You know, you could just poke it. <laughs> I did kind of yeah. like the whole, um, like the the doctor's like a counselor you know, and observing like relationships kind of thing. You know, it was a good comedic bit. Oh, like oh it is. Like, it, you know, when he does the comedic bit. And it's totally in character for him. Uh, just yeah. to like insert himself and assume that he is needed in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree yeah. with you there. Yeah. I, I do love that there's a great bit of exchange between Tuvok and Chakotay. So Tuvok's there constructing that second weapon out of uh, just parts that they found. And Chakotay goes, you're assuming the first one will work. Yes. 
perfect <laughs> right? Tuvok. Like, never overwrite a moment when that one word will do. That was yeah. great. I found it interesting, like, in that entire conversation, like, Chakotay, like, saying, oh, you know, you're – He's basically saying Vulcans are too rigid for for interpretation or adaptation, you know, or or jazz or to glide, baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. But I think that Chakotay forgets, like, this is the guy that infiltrated your Maquis cell, right? Yeah. yeah. And he probably knew these tactics. He probably knows how to think on the fly. He probably knows how to make weapons out of junk because that's what the Maquis did. You did too, Chakotay. So yeah. kind of like, you know, slow your roll there, right? Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. I did like the uh, the reference to the rite of Taloth. Uh, I don't think we've heard that phrase before, but, it, you know, uh, Tuvok surviving in the Vulcan wilderness for four months. It made me think of little Spock in yesterday. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, right? Right? Being yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a good moment. Now I'm thinking of Aichaya, and now I'm sad. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So we'll get back to, well, this is yeah. what doesn't make me sad. It, it okay. makes me a little irritated, though. So why not just take Jarlath's sensor and then make more of them, right? Instead of making weapons, make more sensors. So then yes. you take like 10 people with 10 sensors and just walk around the place and just scan, scan for openings. Good point. Good point. Uh. I like that. I do have to say from a production point of view, the Nerian version of Elkar is like their computer interface. It looked like an afterthought. Not great. <laughs> Not great. Not great. Because, I mean, yeah. the Star Trek really excels at, at creating a complete world out of design. And you have yeah. Federation Elkars, you have all the Cardassian stuff, but... The, yeah, that that was just not good. <laughs> kind of kind of nineties mall computer system, you know. I, I do love and I love how this is so easy for Tuvok. Like, I'll try to bypass the security codes. Uh, all right, <laughs> like you literally have no idea what any of this says or how it works. But you can to push buttons and and you'll sure you'll do it. Yeah, I have an entire diatribe on language plot armor in this episode Ooh. because. I have many things to say about it. Many things. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I look forward to getting to that. I tried really hard. You know, I do like to freeze frame and, and see details on screen. I tried really hard to read the computer display on the Nerian ship. And the the details were pretty sketchy, but I swear it looks like in the Federation habitat, it said that it was 75 degrees Celsius. Which mm. would kill everybody in there. <laughs> so, Seventy-five uh, Celsius. Celsius. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'd so be yeah. very very hot. Exactly. Yeah. You come back and find a bunch of uh, naked, unconscious Voyager crew members. <laughs> 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 Maybe that was the plan. I don't know. I don't know. So here's an interesting line that Belana mm-hmm. says. So Belana says to Tom. Shows how much you know about Klingons. They have much less tolerance for the cold than humans do. Okay, I get that. But for centuries, Klingons chose to mine and occupy the glacial planetoid of Rurapenthe <laughs> as their prison colony. Well, okay. So was that – yeah, they were mining it. But did they set that up as a prison to further punish the Klingons who were sent there? Maybe. That's a good question. Maybe. I don't know. You know. But yeah. it just seems like I know they're like intolerant of cold, but they're on a frozen right. planet. It's a poor place <laughs> so, to choose prison. to be anyway. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. If you're yeah. off duty and choose to go to a tropical resort environment on your off time, why do you what? stay in uniform? We know he's got a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> we know they both do. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Got to say, as we're racing toward the end here, when Tom and Bolana are in that frozen habitat and they overpower the two guards who are after them, Tom, Bolana, I'm only going to say this once. Listen to me. If you didn't learn this at the Academy, take the weapons of your captors once they are incapacitated. Yes. That, you just, I, you I, just do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do. I saw that. They're freezing to death. They said, we have one shot. You know, even Bolana like readjusted Tom's phaser and said, you got one shot left. Then they were able to take out one. The other one succumbed. Yeah. They both have weapons. Get them. Get them. Just take them. But you know who does not need lessons in what to do and how to be a badass? And that is Janeway. Because she gets her moment in the penultimate scene of this show and just saying like, yeah, look, I've disabled your system. We could negotiate or you guys could just die here. And that is Pete Chainway. It seems likely that these people are also inviting themselves over for dessert and drinks afterward. Hope you stocked up. We'll get right back to Distant Origin after a word from this week's sponsor, Factor. You know, John, it's summer. Yes, it is. You know, and the one thing that we love during summertime is doing some, say, outdoor cooking. Yeah, I love that. We love outdoor cooking. And yeah. you all out there might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for, you know, your sunny, active days. Well, Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, you'll eat well, and you'll stay on track reaching your fitness goals. That's right, but I'm getting back into speedo shape. That's right. That's uh, that's my goal mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> but I, and I love the speed and convenience of Factor Meals. Because, look, if you're too busy, like me, maybe uh, with summer plans to cook, but you want to make sure you're eating well, well, that's where Factor comes in. Because with Factor, you can skip that trip to the grocery store, skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up, and all that stuff that just mm-hmm. takes time. But you're still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. That's it. Two minutes. You're done. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside, soak up that warm weather. Now, if you are looking for calorie conscious options this summer, again, you know, look at me trying to get back into speedo shape. Try delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals with around or maybe less than 550 calories per serving. That's pretty impressive for those meals to be that good and be that calorie smart. I love it. Yeah, if you need that extra boost to support your wellness goals this summer, try Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. You can also uh, elevate your fine dining at home with their upscale, Ooh. yeah, I know, right? Surf Hello, and turf. Yes. Surf and turf meal options like roasted garlic filet mignon and shrimp and Cajun-spiced shrimp and salmon. That sounds nice. Little, little surf and surf together. Ex- I like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. so um, Factor offers delicious flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles. You have your keto lifestyle, calorie smart, vegan and veggie and protein plus lifestyles. These are prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. And each meal has all of the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long while meeting your fitness goals. And if you're looking to mix it up, you can add a protein to select, say, vegan and veggie meals each week. 
I love it. I love how you can mix and match. You can choose from 34 plus chef prepared, dietitian approved weekly options featuring premium ingredients. And look, if you want to budget this month by cutting back on takeout, get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery. Again, I, I said it before, two minutes, two minutes is all it takes. And with Factor, you can rest assured that you're making a sustainable choice too. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door, source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices, and feature sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. Get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready? I, I, I said it before. I'm going to say it a third time, Norman. Two minutes. Two minutes. No prep. No mess. So head to factormeals.com slash missionlog50 and use code missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code missionlog50, the number five zero, at factormeals.com slash missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. I have to admit, Venerians, pretty clever. This is a good ruse, don't you think? So you, you beam in, you just show up in a place, and you act like you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> you act you act totally helpless. Like, like picture it's, you know, 1961, and you're a spy, you're a Western spy, and you, you somehow you just get into, like, East Berlin, and you just, like... Wow, how how did I get here? <laughs> Just play dumb, <laughs> and, and it'll work. Or, or, or you know what is more like? It was like um, in uh-huh. Die Hard. It's it's like when Hans was about to get caught oh, by McLean. Yeah, you know, in the attic, he's like, "Oh, don't 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 hurt me, please, don't hurt me. You're yeah. one of them. You're one of them." He's like, "Calm down, I'm not yeah. one of them." And then you just establish this false pretense of. I'm a good guy. You're a good guy. Let's yeah. be good guys. It's right? a, I don't think we've seen anything yeah. quite like that on Star Trek before. Certainly we have met, you know, enemies who tried to be friends first, but but this was a new kind of ruse and I, I kind of liked it. And the whole time they're there, they're just gathering information to lay the groundwork for the invasion. Like it, it, It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Here's partly what didn't make sense to me, though. The Nereans have highly advanced scanners. Obviously, they have this huge ship. Their transporters work two fucking Janeways, so they work like 10 light years away, which is translocators. Yeah, very good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Way better than our puny uh, transporters. They got translocators, you know, Mm. which, by the way, they should have just taken that technology. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just download a little of that from the database before you come back to Voyager. So they have all of this, this huge ship and the ability to program multiple environments and keep other species alive. But seemingly they don't have the ability to create the ships that they need for whatever perceived threat they're facing. Now, I'll, I'll dig a little deeper into that in just a second, but it just seems like they spend a lot of time on their clever obfuscation, but they can't think their way out of whatever predicament they're already in. I, I'm going to say they're like slightly better packlets in that way, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, oh think about God. it. Like, like packlets <laughs> show up and you go like, oh, well, they're, they're just kind of helpless and harmless and we'll, we'll do what we mm-hmm. can for them, you know? But meanwhile, the packlets are just gathering whatever they can. 
But PAC-LEDs have no good sense of long-term strategy. They have no good sense of motivation. They're just like, we, we want the thing, so we're going to take that thing, and then we'll use this other thing to protect that thing that we just got. <laughs> like there's yeah yeah that's a great point i think like with the nerians they're kind of like they're like the spider web mm-hmm. right and they're attracting all these flies and you know voyager gets caught in their web and i i think that they're like they're good with that it's a model that they're comfortable with that they have expertise mm-hmm. with and they have a really good kind of network of being able to uh, obviously uh, uh, reconnaissance and and spy on you know ships that are what 10 yeah. light years away yeah and you know, download their information and understand their people and find their security holes, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, you know, they can start infiltrating the ship again in this very kind of benign way. And I think it's if, if the if the model ink broke, don't fix yeah, it, right? Yeah. You know, it seems like that's it works for them because they had like what some ninety what species? Well, they had like ninety four like environments. So yeah, potentially yeah. that many species. Yeah, and I can't help to like to think like. This is almost kind of like an anti-caretaker kind of station that Mm -hmm. they're on, right? You know, like if the caretaker got bent and all of a sudden started like stealing all these ships, I mean, all these species, and then kind of like making a zoo out of like all these species, right? And then these people are like the the, the Nereans are like absconding with these people's technologies and et cetera, et cetera. But here's my problem with all of that. It's not with the Nereans at all. And if I said Nymerians, it's because I'm a Game of Thrones fan and I know Nymeria, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. My biggest problem with all of that is it's either the Nymerians are incredibly, incredibly smart or Voyager is incredibly naive. Oh, okay. Right? Well, how do you think that Voyager are incredibly naive if that's the way we're going to go with it? Okay, yeah. so in – and I'm saying this. I'm not talking about Voyager itself. I'm talking about like how Star Trek kind of – they have this very subtle naivete, sometimes not so subtle, about how their stories unfold. So here's a question. It's rhetorical, yeah. but not. Is it me, or am I just so fixated on a ship being 75,000 light years from home in a quadrant of unknown mm-hmm. space, literally surrounded by life-threatening aliens and possible death at every turn? And here I am as a viewer just wanting maybe a little bit more of an appropriate security response to any alien that shows up on old, the ship. Old man beans in shoot to kill. <laughs> <laughs> no, something. Yeah. And, well, I'm, I'm talking yeah, about an yeah, appropriate yeah, yeah, response, yeah, yeah. you know, but yeah. all of a sudden they're like, you know, Tom and Blonde are in the hallway. They see an alien. They're like, would you yeah. like some water? Are you yeah. okay? As opposed to stay yeah. there. We're going to sit. You're know, going to sort this out because think about it this way. That was the response that Tom and Bellana gave uh, Damar or Damar, <laughs> yeah. you know, in this situation. But when they saw Gagan and Veer in the previous episode of Distant Origins, they freaked out. You know, they yeah. caught them, yeah. they stunned them, and they threw them in jail. Well, I mean, they did with yeah. Veer, not Gagan. That was just yeah. an episode ago. So which is it? Are you going to appropriately respond to, you know, people that infiltrate, you know, and invade your ship? Or are you going to like to say, everything's cool? I mean, we're disappearing, but they're appearing, but we're just going to stick them in a holding cell. We might even like let them walk the ship. Who knows? Right. Why is it that way? Like, why is it so inconsistent to the point where you as an audience member and you people out there yeah. are smart, right? But you're watching this. You're like, where is security in all of this? Why isn't there some type of lockdown when literally 
I don't know, 25% of the crew, including some several key members of the bridge staff, are yeah. gone. Yeah. Well, that that's the really right? worrisome like, part. Yeah. But, I mean, literally, you should have force fields up everywhere all the time now, if that's right. happening. And then when the captain yeah. disappears, why isn't that ship just shut the yeah. F down? Because it's the captain. You're like, well, we don't know where she went. There's got to be a there's got to be a key to the warp core that somebody can just take out and swallow, or you know, right? And that should be Chakotay. That was cool though. I I did like that they shut down the warp core at a certain point, but then of course the Nereans got it back up and running uh, as they race back to their uh, prison ship. Yeah, but but that's but that's what I mean though. Like, where is the threshold (laughs) of? When things have gone beyond the point of or past the point of no return. Yeah. Right. To the point where Chakotay walks into a holding cell of hundreds of Nereans are like, where did they all go? What happened? How yeah. did I lose control of literally like more people yeah, than it's like my like instant red alert, instant force fields. Done. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good point. So that's 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 where I, I like it, it kind of grates me where yeah. I'm like, mm. Why Why does Star Trek always, not always, that's not fair to say, but why, at least in Voyager, do they position our leadership in a point to a point where it's almost inconceivable that they're that naive? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, right. uh, you know, just to give them the benefit of the doubt here, let, let's think through maybe part of the situation here. We've seen episodes of, say, Next Gen, where Picard has no hesitance to risk the Enterprise, to blow it up. Janeway's done that too, of course, you know. But maybe the stakes Mm -hmm. get played differently here because there's only 148 of them, and they are so far away from Earth that it's like, well, if we're too risky, even in our ability to fight back, does that mean that then we have an easier time of losing the ship to somebody or not succeeding in our ultimate mission, which is to get home? You know, and that's just, this is giving me a little right, yeah. bit of benefit for the doubt there. But yeah, at a certain point, if I'm Chakotay, I'm like, you know, I just start opening airlocks on floors, on decks where, where there are no more Voyager crew members and it's just Nereans like, no, 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 you're out of here, out of here. I think that... To look at it like a little bit more realistically, like again, sometimes we put this you know question out there or look at the model of if this were yeah. real, and you know, and and it's not like the captain was the last person to go. Chakotay was the last person to go, and and lucky for Voyager because he seems to be the only person that could put countermeasures against the Nereans yeah. on the ship. But once the captain is abducted, it doesn't matter if it was the Nereans, it doesn't matter if it was some other cause, but the captain's yeah. been abducted. That ship is now vulnerable and needs to be yeah. secured. Yeah, hundred percent. Why doesn't that happen <laughs> time yeah. and again yeah. on this show? That drives me banana sandwich. <laughs> Very true. All right, All right. I, I want to look at the Nereans from a, uh, a slightly different angle here because right. I compared them to Packleds. Yes, I did. But now, now I want to do this. Now I want to look at them the way we look at the Kazon. Remember them from way, way, way back when beginning of the season john are you going back to basics <laughs> oh <Literally>. man <laughs> well done thank well you done. you're welcome yes, everyone yes. applaud all Take right so yeah. think of it this way the, the kazon 
we're obsessed with gaining and then protecting territory. Like that, that's the whole thing. And they, they've created this system that propagates their own problem in that way. Because once they have territory, they have to protect it. And once that area is protected, well, then they're going after another territory that a less protective Kazon has. And they, they're never able to kind of negotiate and collaborate. In a, in a really constructive way. So that, that is a problem of their own making. So let's look at the Nereans then. Something really dark and disturbing about the fact that we know so little about their motivation. So in other words, the, the way that they said it in there, your vessel will be used to defend Nerean acquisitions. It, that is so perfectly but frustratingly logical. They acquire things then they need to acquire more things to defend the acquisition. That's it. That's all we have out of them, right, about their motivation. It's very forensic. It is. It is. But but th- th- this is a vicious cycle that they have created for themselves, and nobody seems to have been able, in whatever history of the Nereans that we have, whatever taste that we get here, nobody has been able to step outside of their own system for long enough to size it up and see if that's necessary. Like, how much more acquisition do you need to do to protect the acquisitions you already have? Like, at what point have you already acquired enough things that are satisfactory to have and also are already protective of the things that you have? So I don't think that this was an intended message of the story, but it really had me thinking about how we justify things like like spending for military interests. You know, think we, we spend huge amounts of money continuing to build weapons to defend against threats, some of them real, some of them perceived, and that we keep justifying year after year the need to build more because now that we have some, those enemies have also built more to protect against our threat. And the rents repeat and right. never, ever be the first one to flinch and break that cycle. Like that, that, that is the real problem there. Now, the, the purpose of this story is just to get the hell out. Like that, that's what the Voyager crew needs to do. Just get out of there and disable them long enough to get a head start. You know, part of me wants to see a version of this where Janeway gets to give a Kirk speech to, first of all, size these people up, tell them what is wrong with their system, and then get out of there after stealing their translocator technology. That, I mean, that's a great point. And I think that what, one of the scenes that we were missing and I'm sure it would have been really, you know, expensive budget-wise, is to see what the Nereans acquired. Mm. You know, like, where are their yeah. stores? You know, like, did they acquire – I mean, I'm sure they acquired a significant amount of technology. Perhaps even kind of like the zoo that they've created was maybe built on stolen technology from other races. Maybe that's just their culture. You know, they started acquiring, disseminating, understanding, learning, replicating, and then all of a sudden building upon this technology that they have a rudimentary understanding mm-hmm. of – so all of a sudden you have this zoo and you're creating like, you know, all of these different, you know, cages. Hey, look at that Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. You know, all these cages to study all these different species in order to understand the technology that they, they the Nemerians <laughs> have yeah. appropriated. It, it'll happen. It's such yeah. a, a stumbling block for me. Yeah. So that's something that would have been really interesting, or at least it would have been interesting for their leadership to talk about. Like, we don't know any better. 
And it would have been interesting if Janeway kind of like, I don't know, like, like on, on m mm-hmm. you know, to, to say like, we're going to break yeah. this cycle yeah. where you can no longer appropriate these things because you yourself as a society are stagnant. You have to grow. You can't grow if you are just appropriating other cultures, technology, and civilizations, right? You know, you have to create yeah. one for yourself. Well, how do we do that? We don't know. Yeah, yeah, because that, that growth is literally right. just the accumulation of more stuff. It is just getting bigger, but yeah. not getting better as far as we can tell. And we can see that, you know, like if you, you know, you've heard stories about, you know, say, you know, thieves stealing a bunch of like technology, what are they going to do with it? They don't right. know how to use right. it. Yeah. You have to fence yeah. it, right? So, And it would have been interesting if these people were fencing things to other species in the Delta Quadrant, like uh, the Vidians, like the Kazon, yeah. you know, like the Trade, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You know, like this yeah. was their hub. Like we steal things in order for us to just, you know, uh, enrich our own culture by selling off technology to other races, yeah. you yeah. know. Um, so that would, that would have been interesting too. But, you know, I, I think that somewhere along the line, it's it was an interesting idea. The Nereans are an interesting idea. But uh, somewhere in the script, we needed to find space to deep to to dive deeper mm. into them. Mm-hmm. Right? I, it just felt like I hate to say it, but they're a very villain of the week. They they kind of are, race. but but there's something that still sticks with me that I'm I'm okay with the idea because again of the flawed perfect logic. It was Talim saying, you know, we we acquire these things to essentially defend our acquisitions. I was like, well, you can't argue with that. <laughs> like, that's just what they do because they are motivated because of the motivation they created. It, it, it is this uh, self-perpetuating cycle. It, it would have been interesting to know what else they have beyond that. But I, I don't know. There, there's something so sinister about being lost in that cycle. But what happens and, and, and unless their translator, unless their you know, their 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 ability to, you know, to observe and record and study and disseminate other cultures, you know, from ten light years mm-hmm. or you know, further away, what would happen if they actually uh, appropriated um, technology, you know, or assets from a race that is far superior to them? Mm. You know, like is that something that are they looking at? They're probably looking at more easier targets and yeah. opportunity, you know, but how would they yeah, know? That? Right. You know, right. if they don't really understand the technology that they're appropriating, yeah. quote unquote. And breakfast. They're staying over for breakfast, too. And maybe lunch. What are your thoughts on brunch? So here we are at the end of Displaced, and and one of the things I think that we have done well, John, is we've displaced some of the discussion for now. So we can talk Mm -hmm. about what we do in Mission Log. We talk about the, uh, well, does the episode first stand the test of time? Does it hold up? And then does it have any morals or meanings or messages that we've been able to mine in the episode? So yeah, I mean, look, we, we, we had discussion in that place. Now we're going to have discussion in this place. About, hey, about, that place, yeah, this place. Exactly. Hey, you know, yeah. how you doing? Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> <All right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. This place. Does, does it hold up? Well, what's interesting to me is that just purely from a production point of view, I think this episode does some stuff very well, which is, 
to convey size without actually having to show everything. You know, we talked before how Star Trek will do this very Shakespearean thing where the action is offstage. And then, and then you, you have the reaction to that or the lead up to that on stage. And, you know, it, we did something very well last week with the city ship and distant origin. You actually show that entire ship and you show the size of everything. But this time you have these small spaces, but our actors and our imagination sell the idea that this is a massive ship that they're trapped in, you know, with all these different environments and everything. And, and this is a pretty ambitious script on the surface when you look at it and you see, okay, well, we have to sell this with all these different physical places where they are. And even if on a TV budget in 1997, you can't make that absolutely epic. And I think they still did a nice job with that. You kind of peek through those portals, you know, wow, there's the desert environment and here's the the frozen environment and here's our less bro-y club bro-med for the Federation, <laughs> you know. And then you have these little narrow corridors and, you know, tiny, tiny little control room. But we know that we haven't even gotten to the bridge of this thing. So what you see on the giant ship is the schematic and just the reaction of the actors going, whoa, we're in something much bigger. So – this production, this specific episode, is this exercise in compromise. Like, if you can't afford a bunch of prosthetics, you put your aliens in hats, all right? Because uh, we spent a bunch of money on prosthetics in uh, Distant Origin. And you can spend some money on different environmental set pieces, but then you won't have the fancy exterior shots of a brand new ship. That, that is, you know, many times larger than Voyager. So it's interesting to see them navigate everything that they need to do to actually tell this uh, story. Now, the story itself, I think, has something that I've liked in Voyager pretty frequently, which is this old school, pulpy science fiction feel to it. You have all these different species, including our crew, which is also made up of multiple species, trapped by aliens, put into this kind of zoo, and then they need to get out. And that would also work on TNG. It works on TOS. I appreciate that. As a cage of sorts, John? A cage of sorts. Maybe, cage of sorts. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe I've seen this before. You know? So I don't mind going back to the well for something like that, where you take a general idea and say, how could we come at this from a little bit different angle? What if this happens to this crew instead of that crew? Because their needs, their their motivations are a little bit different. Now, at the end of the day, it, it's really not the most consequential story. It kind of has that old school sci-fi feel to it. Is it great and memorable Star Trek? Maybe not. But I also kind of like an ending with, a, you know, a heroic shot of Janeway with her finger on the button one-upping her captors. So there's something very satisfying about that. I can't give this episode a pass to say, wow, th this will live up there with episodes like Distant Origin or Unity that just make me think th this is a show firing on all cylinders. But I do think it's a show that works very well with the limitations that it has. So this is a marginal, this is maybe one of those 50%, does it hold up, does it not hold up, might depend on the day of the week you catch me. Mm. How about you? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I love I love how you phrase that because I think that that's where I am with this. Maybe if I saw it in a different light or a different time or a different setting, um, but this episode is just frustrating hmm. for me. You know, okay. because I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what story is trying to tell, and I and I can't. And I, I think I'm trying to find more consistency in Voyager episode to episode, and that I think is probably one of the more frustrating points uh, right now because. I think I think my big, my biggest issue is this Voyager episodes up until now they just have this weird way of kind of like conveying this blanket trust that Janeway and Chakotay and the leadership crew have towards like the alien of the week hmm. right because being in the Delta quadrant I think that we understand it's dangerous mm-hmm. and she's been proven she being Janeway has been proven time and again that her instincts, her optimism, her Starfleet way have been proven wrong. Mm-hmm. And I want her to learn and grow from that. And how many allies has she actually secured in these three years of trying to get home? No, now, I no, know not that the people trade. Out, no, certainly <laughs> not the trade. And I know people out there are saying like, well, the Starfleet way is to try. I yeah. understand that completely. It is easier to do that, though, in the Alpha Quadrant and even in some cases – you know, the Gamma Quadrant, where there is a Starfleet presence, where there are Starfleet resources and Starfleet diplomacy. But this is the Delta Quadrant. And as far as, as my experience has been with this series, Janeway has been wrong on many occasions and has lost crew people on many occasions. And this is no exception because you have an episode where literally not only her, but many officers her senior officers and crewmen were being absconded or, or stolen by these Nerians and because they trusted them mm-hmm. at the start yeah they didn't put security protocols in place we're like wait hey you know what three or four of our you know our crew members have been i don't know they disappeared well we don't know if it's the Nerians that have caused this. We don't know if it's another power that have caused this. But, hey, you know what? We should probably be really, like, locked down and secure about how we move forward as opposed to let's just see how many people disappear in the next few minutes, right? Because right? Because right? that's, you know, a, a good way of going about things. So, I mean, it, the Delta Quadrant's dangerous, right? You have to learn this. You know, we've learned this as the audience. Why isn't our crew learning this right right so and it's getting a little old i mean it's kind of like it's getting past that point of just hand wave it you'll learn the moral meaning or message you'll learn that they've learned and no one's really been hurt and sure we've lost a shuttle or we've lost one or two extraneous cast members you know no big deal no harm no foul but that gets old. Yeah. You want them yeah. to learn. You know, yeah. you want them to be defensive about where they are. You don't want them to lose the Starfleet optimism. You don't want them to lose their way. But at the same time, though, they have to be realistic in order for us to buy into the fact that this is a real situation. If not, then it's just pablum. Yeah. Right. It's just a way of saying, hey, here's the optimistic tale of the story. And if you don't like it, well, too bad because it's still optimistic. No, it's not. Right. It's not. Right. Right. So I I just want a little bit more gravitas. I want a little bit more grit. I want a little bit more realism. I want a little bit more. Hey, you know what? In the previous episode, they were really secure about their issues with alien invaders with the Voth. And in this episode, they could have cared less. And 
until <laughs> until it, it got to a point where somebody had to care. And by that point, it was too late. But they got out of it anyway. So, hey, you know, what do I know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's that's kind of like where I am with that. Okay. All right. Well, oh, oh, by the oh, way, by the by. Yeah, the, yeah. Not, not, not to kind of like, not to um to pimp our own uh, mm-hmm. Patreon. But yeah, it's our show. We can do I, that. <laughs> I also have a huge diatribe of plot armor when it comes to language and language barriers yeah. and the issue with language in Voyager and in Star Trek. So if you want to hear that, please subscribe to our Patreon. Do that. Because it's on the uncut version of our video. There you go. Perfectly yeah. said. Perfect. Well, look, morals, meanings, messages. I, I think we're both saying maybe this episode is a little light in that area. And I, I, I'm trying to go through point by point and figure out, is there something to really learn, something that is a, uh, a you see to me moment? Haven't used that phrase in a while. Hey. Uh, yeah. And uh. like, like I, I don't know if there's that much to be made out of Jarleth. He's a coward. <laughs> or at the very least, he's the guy who wants to go along to get along. I, I I don't know that there's much to be made out of the the gilded cage is still a cage because we learned that from what what was the uh, the episode about the cage? Um, uh, the cage. The cage. I've heard about that. Yes, yeah, that that's the it's one. About a cage. About, about a cage, yeah. Yeah. And even with like the Balana anger management issues, I think that's fine to help build her camaraderie with uh, with Tom and yes that was a funny moment with uh, with Harry but is there a really deep insight there not necessarily i think it's just kind of fun character stuff to to build around them but maybe it's all right to not have a huge moral meaning or message here. I mean, Voyager gets hijacked. Our crew needs to escape their confines. Let the action ensue. And if you want to dig a little deeper, go back to the last segment, you know, hear my notes. The, 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 the Nereans could stop this vicious cycle if they just stopped this vicious cycle. That that is an option for them, but as we very much understand, as humans who are trapped in all kinds of unfortunate systems, we don't always have the foresight or the power to do that. Is that really what this episode is about? Don't necessarily think so, but I think that's one of the tragic problems of the Nereans. What about you, Norman? Well, I mean, I, I agree, and you know, um, you kind of, you know, you you, you made a, a very, you know, specific point of does it have to be mm-hmm. a, a moral meaning or message episode? Not every single episode is going to have one. Yeah. I didn't find anything really profound from this episode. I think it's kind of like the standard run of the mill, paint by numbers, die hard kind of episode. Mm-hmm. You know, trade in air ducts for environmental control corridors. <laughs> you trade Nakatomi Plaza for Voyager. Yes, right. Yes. You know, I do like that Janeway has this. You know, this kind of like this standoff moment where she said, you know, to the Nerean leaders, you know, or to Damara and, you know, and, and mm-hmm. the doctor, you either give up and stop doing this or, you know, we'll, we'll treat you to the same kind of treatment that you've treated other peoples that you've captured. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's standard run of the mill kind of, you know, moral meaning message consequence. But it, it doesn't mean that it's original. It doesn't mean that it's as meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, a critique that I guess I would have to levy against this episode is that I've seen other, I've seen other series and, you know, or or movies or, you know, stories that have done this episode and have done it better. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious, like what you're, what you're seeing in this episode, it's pretty paint by numbers, but for me, 
Nothing really special. Fair. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Worst Case Scenario. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. And just like that they're already gone, it's just as well. I compute a high probability that they were lousy tippers too. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.